good song. Is that, that was my first time to really hear that. How many times have we sung it? About three or four? Well, I heard it today. Yeah, I, did you hear it? It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, of course, you know, I analyze things theologically, so I'm speaking theologically, not musically. Uh, yeah, it's good, but no, musically it's good, too. <laughs> Lord, I'll talk myself right into a hole up here, won't I? Good job. Hey, I'm glad to see y'all today. Thank you for coming. Um, it's always the highlight of my week when I get to come to church and uh, be here with you guys. So thank you. Thank you for making my week. Here we go. Mark chapter 10 is where we are. Today we open the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We've been preaching through it now for some time. So if you would find your place with me in Mark chapter 10. This is one of those passages that keeps preachers honest. The reason I am such a fan of preaching through a book, passage by passage, pericope by pericope, is for this reason right here. If it were left up to me, I would probably never in my life choose this passage to preach it. But when you're preaching through a book, you just can't skip it, or everybody would know that you just skipped it. So here we go, Mark chapter 10. Let's uh, look at this very delicate subject today and see what the Lord would say to us. Verse number 1 begins... As such, getting up, he, that is Jesus, went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Now look, ever since Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9, he's headed toward Jerusalem. So now he is headed toward Jerusalem for a little appointment that he has on Golgotha. And as he's going, these pilgrims are just coming to him, and he's teaching them on the way. Verse number 2, some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him. They began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, what Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, what a touchy subject. And it's not a subject that has become a hot button just with modern times. It always has been a sticky issue. Even here, these Pharisees are being very calculating when they come to Jesus because they've been dogging him, as you know, for the past nearly three years now, and they've not been able to trap him. But now they bring out the big guns. They bring out the subject about which hardly anybody can speak without getting into some theological or social problem. They come and they ask him about divorce, trying to trap him. And today I want to cast this kind of in terms of finance. Because one thing that ministry, 30 years of pastoring and being a missionary, has taught Heather and I, it's how to be conservative and frugal. 
I mean, my wife is probably the most conservative woman that I know. She had rather shop at a thrift store than she had Neiman Marcus. She just loves it. Now, that's good and that's bad because she usually drags me through Goodwill, uh, the Restore, and all of that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, ministry has taught us how to be frugal and conservative. You guys that are here because of BCF, you know you're not going into ministry for financial reasons, right? Uh, if, 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 if you don't know that already, I hate to break bad news to you. That's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, that bleeds over into how I manage the little bit of retirement I have. Uh, my financial advisor is always telling me, Pastor Richie, you ought to be a little more aggressive. You ought to take a few more risks. Because he would say, no risk, no reward. We all know that the higher the risk is, the higher the reward. But the problem is, you know, I can lose enough money innocently. I don't want to lose any on purpose. And that's just the way it works with me. You know, my business philosophy is buy high and sell low. It's always worked that way for me. So, I, you know, I play a little bit more conservative than most folks. And it's usually to my detriment because since I'm playing so conservative, there's not a whole lot of gain. There's not a whole lot of reward to be expected. And, you know, marriage is about the same way. Hey, it is high risk. When Jesus got done talking about it, as a matter of fact, his disciples rightly ascertained the risk that was involved. So they asked him a question. Notice what they said when they got into the house. They said, uh, they said uh, to him, uh, is, it, is it good? When his disciples began questioning him, uh, they asked him if it was good for a man not to marry at all. The Gospel of Matthew records that account a little more plainly than does, the, than does uh, the Gospel of Mark. They understood that marriage is risky business. But hear me, high risk means high reward. One of the most fulfilling experiences that God has built into human life is matrimony. Now, depending on how we approach it and how we do it, Marriage has the ability and the potential to be a foretaste of heaven on earth or it can be a living hell. Whichever way it goes is mostly dependent upon us and how we approach it. So let's look at this today under the auspices of high risk and high reward. But before we do, before we really get into the text, we must first address some preliminary issues. So let's set the stage here because, again, we are treading on in, 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 in delicate territory, we, territory when we deal with this subject. So I think it's good to set some, 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 some rules here or set some general principles that will guide us along through this discussion. The first preliminary issue that I think is pertinent that we must bring out is that this passage is preventive, not punitive. Now, simply what that means is, this passage is not intended to be a hammer that we pick up and beat people over the head who have been divorced, who have a divorce in their history. The, 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 the import of this passage is not punitive. It's not meant for punishment, but the intent here is preventive. So rather than using this passage as a hammer to beat up already injured people, let's use this passage as an apple a day 
that'll keep divorce away from our future, okay? And, and, and boy, that's really what this should be about. It's about helping us navigate the waters of matrimony without getting in such a predicament until where, where the only card left on the table sometimes is divorce. So it's preventive. And can I say that, man, now is the time for you young folk and for us old folk as well to be trying to prevent something. Not when we get into the heat of the battle. Most of the time then it's too late. And can I say to you also, based on 30 years of pastoral counseling, let me say to you that this is the one area where human beings are most close to take counsel. When it comes to romance, people will not take counsel. As a matter of fact, we have this little thing called premarital counseling. But can I say to you, by the time a couple comes to premarital counseling, their mind's already made up. There's no going back. I think what we ought to have is premarital, premarital, premarital counseling. You ought to start premarital counseling before you even have an inkling of who your mate is going to be. Because God's been preparing you all alone for that person. Did you know that? And God's been preparing a person for you. So you may not even be dating. As a matter of fact, the success of your marriage might depend on what you do now before you even meet your prospective husband or wife. Just may. Because here's what happens. Most of the time, by the time you get to premarital counseling, you're already emotionally involved. And once you get emotionally involved, listen to me, ladies, it's usually too late. Your emotions will lead you to marry somebody that you know you ought not be marrying. Your emotions will cause you to overlook warning signs that you ought not be overlooking. As a matter of fact, let me give you one good reason why God says no premarital sexual activity. Because it is impossible to be intimate with another human being in that fashion and not have an emotional attachment. And once you get an emotional attachment, hear me, your marriage is going to be based on emotion rather than agape love. And you see, as believers, we have bought into Tina Turner's idea that love is nothing more than a second-hand emotion. Hear me. Biblical love is not an emotion. Now it is, there's emotion involved, but it's not primarily defined by emotion, but by choice. And all of this stuff about, well, you can't help who you fall in love with. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, by golly. And yes, you had better. Are we going to end up going down this path that we're on today? Do you know you don't have to look very far to find the stats from good quality researchers that say the divorce rate among professing believers in the church of Jesus Christ is about identical to what it is among pagans. Something's wrong. You know what that means? That means we're not doing it right. We're getting into something that we maybe ought not be getting into before we're prepared to get into it. So this passage is designed to be preventive, not punitive. Here we go. Next preliminary issue that we must address. The Bible expresses 
the perfect and the practical. Now, don't let that be an excuse not to aim for perfection. But the Bible commonly speaks this way. What is perfect is what we're going to talk about today, God's intention for marriage. What was practical is what Moses had to do because he was living with sinful people in a sin-fallen world. So we have the perfect and we have the practical. We find it in other places of the Bible too where a standard's held up and then what's probably going to take place is given. For example, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Little children, I write to you that you sin not. That's the perfect, right? It is the perfect expression of God's intention for us to take this Bible, apply it to our lives, and avoid sin. But John says this, I write these things to you that you sin not. But if any man does sin, he has an advocate with the Father. Do you see that? There's the perfect, and then there's the practical. And we have that here in this passage as well. So, preliminary issue number one, this passage is preventive, not punitive. Number two, the Bible expresses the perfect and the practical. Number three, preliminary issue, we must not be too permissive or too dogmatic. And I know folks on both sides of the fence here. The key question is just what Jesus asked these guys. Because when he said, what did Moses command you? It's equivalent of saying, what does the Bible say? You see, our position on this ought to be dictated by not what we feel, not what we think, not popular opinion, but what does God's Word say? So we can't be too permissive and just say, oh yeah, you know, there's nothing to this divorce thing. Just find you a good attorney and the, 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 the main goal is keep your alimony payments low. That's too permissive. Nor is it healthy to be too dogmatic and say, under no circumstance, under any case, is divorce ever a viable option? And I know folk on both sides of the fence who are good believers. So let's don't be too permissive and let's don't be too dogmatic. Let's try to find what the Bible has to say about this. So here's the only place I know to insert this into a sermon of this nature. When does the Bible say that divorce is an option? This is one of those passages, and Matthew chapter 19 is the other passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Jesus gives an exception clause when he says, except for adultery. So it seems that Jesus is saying that when reconciliation is not possible because of adultery, and get this, just because somebody commits adultery doesn't automatically mean the marriage is over. Doesn't. And that, that doesn't give us license. So let's don't be too permissive. But Jesus does seem to indicate that adultery is one of those except clauses. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 seems to give us another one. Adultery and then abandonment. When Paul is talking about if a spouse leaves, and most of the time that leaving is because one of them was converted and the other one don't have anything to do with a Christian. Paul says, in such case, a brother or sister is not in bondage. Now, the issue here is not so much divorce, Gary, as it is remarriage. Can you, in God's eyes, remarry once you've had a divorce, even if it falls into the exception clause? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
not under bondage seems to indicate so. Now hear me, I know some good evangelical scholars who are on both sides of this fence. So, you know, I, I can't shoot at either side because I've got friends there. I've got men who I respect there who do their exegesis based on the Bible. But nonetheless, that seems to be the case in these exception clauses. Do you see how sticky this is? Friend, listen, this is tough, this is tough stuff. And the very fact that it's so difficult to navigate indicates that it's not in God's perfect plan. Anytime sin enters in, it complicates, it frustrates, it muddies, it makes it sticky. But now here we are living in the practical, in a sin-fallen world. We've got to deal with it. So here we go, high risk, high reward. Our goal in matrimony, what is preventative is we want to minimize risk and we want to maximize reward. So how do we do that? Well, let's follow this passage. Number one, to maximize reward. And we could say to minimize risk as well, either one in this passage, but let's be positive, all right? To maximize reward, we must avoid the heart problem of divorce. You see, divorce is usually the result of something else, of a deeper problem. Divorce is normally the symptom of something else that has already occurred. And look what it is that Jesus said. In verse 3, he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. You see, even in that day, there were two schools on this. There was the liberal school and there was the conservative school. The liberal school said, you can divorce her if she burns your toast. For whatever reason you want to, just discard her, get rid of her, throw her away like a styrofoam cup. The other school said, no, there is no reason to ever do that. So even in Jesus' day, and now these Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus and make him identify himself with one popular school of thought or the other. So look what he says. Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. So what is the heart problem of divorce? Say it again, Jerry. Hardness of the heart. I love what my Greek New Testament says right there. My Greek New Testament says scleron, scleron. It's the word that we get our word, our medical term, sclerosis from. John, you know what sclerosis is? Sclerosis means a hardening. It's when your arteries begin to get hard. They begin to get brittle. And when that takes place, it means they're very resistant to change. They're not flexible. They're not pliable. And Jesus said, this is the condition. He said, scleron cardia. Hardness of heart is the reason why Moses allowed for this practice to take place. Now, what is hardness of heart? How does it flesh itself out practically? Well, probably our greatest example of this, our poster child for hardness of heart, is Pharaoh, when Moses was telling him, let my people go. And the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. So it's something that you do to yourself most of the time. Now, here's what, uh, here's what hardness of heart means. When your heart is hard, 
it means you don't care about what anybody else says. You only are concerned with what you want. Pharaoh didn't care one bit about what God said. God said, let them go. He said, nope, I'd rather keep them for myself. Thank you, God, for your input. I appreciate your suggestion, but I'm going to decline that, and I'm going to do what I want to do. You see, that's hardness of heart. And can I say to you, just about every time a couple has come to me for marital counseling that has problems, one or the other is already there. So here's what I start, here's the first question I ask folks when they talk to me about counseling. The advice that God's Word gives, are you going to take it? you got to answer that question before I even put you on my appointment agenda. Because I'm not wasting time here if you're going to take what God says and say, well, I appreciate that, but I'd rather do it my way anyhow. You see, that's hardness of heart. And that's where most of us are. Friend, not just in premarital counseling, but on any given Sunday, dear God. God confronts us with His truth and His Word. And rather than being pliable and flexible and repenting and doing what He says, we say, no, I think I'm going to stick to my own plan. I've been on this horse for a long time. I'm going to ride it till it dies. Hardness of heart. It's the killer to marriage. You just go ahead and be unflexible, be unbending, be uncompromising. And I can tell you about what's going to happen. Your hardness of heart is going to take you down a road that you really don't want to travel. So to maximize reward, we've got to avoid the heart problem of divorce. Now, something else interesting about this, notice what they said. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and present her away. That word certificate in the original is biblion. Same word translated Bible. It's more, than just a, uh, it's more than just a paper or a certificate as we think of them. It was a book. And here's what that book was intended to do. That book that he had to write in order to give, that book made what was happening in private public knowledge for everybody to see. Because for that divorce to be accepted, it had to be accepted by the community. Now, how would you like what goes on in your home to be published on a book where everybody could pick it up back there and read it this morning? Huh? Do you think that would prevent her tales, a little bit of deviant behavior, if every Sunday morning your book was back there? I wonder which one of you guys would have the bestseller. <laughs> hey, maybe we all start doing that. We could support missions better that way, couldn't we? We start selling books, the personal book of the lives of church grace members. Now, you know I'm being facetious, but that's what it was about. Hey, that guy couldn't make up stuff and lie about it because her lawyers, and there were lawyers in that day, wasn't going to let him lie on her. I mean, this is a society based on truth. What was in that certificate, what was in that biblion, had to be a true record of what was happening in private made public for all to see. Boy, that'll stop a few things, won't it? So you see, even Moses, Moses wasn't being liberal. Moses wasn't being too permissive. Moses was trying to stop this stuff. Notice what else, and here's where I want to spend the rest of my time. High risk, high reward. To maximize reward, we must avoid the heart problem of divorce, and that's a hard heart. 
hey man, avoid that, not just for marriage sake, but for your sake. Don't let your heart get hard. And your heart gets a little bit harder every time you say no to God, yes to me. Yes to self. Not your way, God, but my way. Your heart condition gets a little bit more terminal every time you do that. Man, I appreciate folks who have a soft heart for God's Word. There's some folks that, man, when God speaks, they just, they just, they just crumble and say, break me, God, and make me according to your pattern. Let me not be conformed to the image of this world, but let me be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Maximum reward. Notice number next. To maximize reward, we must acknowledge God's plan for marriage. Now check it out. Here is his plan. The Bible says that or gives us several several key points about God's plan for marriage in verses 6 through 9. And let me start out, none of this is earth-shattering, but it's something that we do need to hear if we are going to use this passage to be preventive, to keep divorce away. Notice number one, God's perfect plan for marriage is it is permanent. Permanent. Jesus said, oh, that divorce thing was concession given by Moses because of the hardness of your heart. But look what Jesus said. From the beginning of creation... From the beginning of creation, it was not God's plan. And notice what, what the Word says right here in verse number 9. What Therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. See that word join? Underline it. Here's what it is. The, the root word there is the word for yoke. It's a yoke. And it's what you would couple. You've seen, I've, I've brought one to church before. It's, it's what you, you put two oxen in. They both have a collar but they both have the same yoke, and they've got to work in unison. And that word join means that God has yoked you together. So your mate is your yoke fellow, permanent yoke fellow for life. Because here's the thing about ox. Oxen don't take their own yoke off. You ever notice that? And married folk don't either. Can't take that thing off. God has yoked us together. Now, you probably heard me tell the story. Dane and I have talked about it on more than one occasion. I had at my house in Brazil, which I hope to get back to in September, right across the street, we've got, we had two of the prettiest Brahma bulls that you've ever seen that live over there. Guy gets up at daylight, he puts them in a yoke, and you can hear him at daylight leaving because his old cart has wooden wheels on wooden axles. Hey, there's no such thing as wheel bearings. It reminds me of B.C., the comic strip. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's just wood on wood, and it's just making a horrific sound, almost like your fingernails running down a chalkboard with an amplifier on it. I mean, it's just horrific. It'll wake you up when he leaves out in the morning. And you can hear him coming from kilometers away in the evening when he comes home because them wheels just grinding, them old wooden wheels on wooden axles. Well, one of the, one of the bulls got sick. And he began to treat it, and he began to do everything he could. You know, I, I would go there, when he'd come home, and I'd be out there, and I'd, I'd rub on them things. And he thought it was something that I was a gringo, and I like bulls. You know, they think all Americans are dummies. They just do. They think we're spoiled, we're brats, we're, all, you know, and they get that. That's a pretty good stereotype. But anyway, I, I'd be out there rubbing on his bulls while he was opening gates, stuff like that. And one of them got sick. So we would keep up with that bull track him to see if he was better. And Dane was there with him one time, and 
Asked him about the bulls. There was only one. He said, nope, he didn't make it. And Dane said, well, at least he got one. <laughs> Trying to find something positive to say. You know what the guy said? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm taking him to the slaughterhouse tomorrow. Dane said, why? He said, because these two bulls have worked together since they were calves. He said, this bull will not accept another bull in the yoke with him. Now stop and think about that. If God has yoked you together with that man, with that woman, and your life depends on them, I think you're going to treat them a little bit better. Don't you think? Hey, if your happiness depends on your yoke fella's happiness, and men it does, and mama's not happy, nobody's happy. So if my happiness depends on her happiness, I'm going to make sure she's happy. If her happiness makes your, it, it depends upon my happiness, she's going to make sure. You see what I'm saying? That's why God uses this term, what God has yoked together. Let no man separate. So number one, God's plan for marriage is it's permanent. Number two, it's between a heterosexual pair. Huh? Look what Jesus said, guys. This is Jesus. He said, from the beginning, God made them male and female. Marriage is planned and intended by God to be between two heterosexual people. It doesn't matter how you identify sexually. What matters is how God identified you sexually when he determined whether it was going to be X or Y chromosomes that gave you the genitalia that you have. That's your identity. Listening to something on the way to church this morning where this liberal was trying to say that there are not just two genders, there are hundreds of genders. Well, pardon me if I choose to go with Jesus on this rather than you. Jesus said marriage is between male and female. That's God's perfect plan for marriage. Got to run. Not only is it permanent, not only is it between a heterosexual pair, but it's the priority human relationship. It's the priority human relationship. Look what Jesus said in verse 7. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now look, we need to hear this because, watch me, I'm going to make a categorical statement here that, that some won't accept. But I'm telling you, the priority relationship in life is husband and wife. It's the priority relationship. Get this, children are important in a family but the priority relationship Gary is mom and dad and I can tell you in 30 years of, of, of pastoring when this gets out of whack marriage is heading down because there's so many people that mom and dad are not the priority with one another little Johnny is my priority little Sally is my priority and can I say to you that what little Johnny needs to know and what little Sally needs to know is that they have security in their home because daddy's priority is mama and mama's priority is daddy. I don't understand this empty nest thing. I really don't. 
I think it only happens when people have made the kids a priority rather than one another. And I don't get that because, listen to me, I raised my kids from the time they put them in my arms after Heather delivered them. I began preparing them to leave me. <laughs> yes, sir. And I'll tell you, when the last one left my house finally, I didn't put on britches for a month. <laughs> Son, we had a big old time, Margaret. Saved a ton on laundry soap because I wasn't wearing clothes. <laughs> we just partied down. Uh, one of us did, anyhow. <laughs> my father-in-law told me when we get married, he said, Son, you two can live as cheap as one just as long as one goes naked and the other one don't eat. <laughs> so I decided I'd be the one who went naked. That was a bad choice, right? <laughs> Come on now, you got to lighten this stuff up sometimes. <laughs> yes, sir. Let me get back to my point where I was preaching. The priority human relationship is between husband and wife. Look what Jesus said. For this cause, for this reason, a man shall underline this word, leave. Leave. Leave, leave. Now let me talk to moms and dads for a minute. <clears throat> the most detrimental thing you can do for the development of the marriage of your children is to be a helicopter parent to constantly hover over them, to make their decisions for them, to try to control their world. I can't tell you how many marriages in the young stage have been sabotaged by in-laws on either side. You know, in-laws have a bad name for a reason. And here's one of the reasons they have a bad name. Can I say to you, in-laws, that there comes a time when she's no longer your little girl, she's his wife. Are you with me? And hear me, there comes a time when father-in-law, if you speak disrespectful to your daughter, you're not speaking disrespectfully to your daughter, you're speaking disrespectfully to my wife and we got problems. You hear me? Because she's my priority relationship, she's my priority now. She's not your priority, she's mine. God yoked her to me. And quit talking to her like that before I knock you upside the head. Huh? Come on, Jamie. I mean, there's still a little bit of Mississippi redneck left in me, you know what I'm saying? And it's the same way with kids. Listen, my boys know how important they are to us. They really do. But I want to tell you something. My two boys also know She's my priority. And there came a time when one of my boys started talking disrespectful to his mother, and all of a sudden he wasn't talking disrespectful to his mother. He was disrespecting my wife, and I put his hiney up against the wall in a chokehold in my kitchen. I said, listen to me, boy, if you want to take another breath, you will cease and desist right now. Say what you want. She's my priority. My sons ain't going to beat up on her. Her daddy ain't going to beat up on her. Ain't nobody going to beat up on her because God gave her to me and she's my priority. Hear what I'm saying? We cannot let something else be the priority. 
marriage is the priority, human relationships. And how does that happen? It happens two ways. Number one, it happens when we leave. When we leave. Hey, I grew up on a family farm in South Mississippi. I never saw myself leaving that family farm. I had plans to be there the rest of my life. Heather and I had been married two years, had a, had a three-year-old baby son. No, you know better than that. <laughs> Come on, I'm just seeing if y'all wait. Y'all wait? Huh? <laughs> We've been married a little over two years, had a son that was about to turn two. <laughs> All right, you with me now? <laughs> when God called us to ministry. And just a couple of semesters ago when I was teaching, there was a counseling student that had to have a project. I love it when I'm a counseling project. <laughs> she had to have a project for a counseling degree. And here was her topic, the effects of ministry on marriage. Dr. Allen. Can I have a little bit of your time with your wife? Because I want to talk to y'all about the effects of ministry on that. Totally blew her mind. Because she was expecting us to talk about how marriage has had a toll, how ministry's had a toll on our, on our marriage. And I said, conversely, honey. I said, because when God called us away, we had nobody but each other. When we went to BCF, we had nobody but each other. When we went to Southwestern Seminary, we had nobody but each other. When we went to the east coast of Florida, we had nobody but each other. When we went to Brazil, there was nobody that spoke English in Brazil but her. We had nobody but each other. So ministry has done nothing throughout 30 years except push us closer and closer and closer and closer together. That's what ministry's done. And the reason it did is because we left. We left. If I'd have stayed over there and let Mama fill my tea glass every time I rattle the ice in it, Heather, I tell you right now, we weren't headed toward a good place. So listen to me, young folks. Sometime the best thing for you is to leave. Leave. A man shall leave his father and mother. And look, it's not in this passage, but it's in all the other ones. You know what comes on the, on the heel of leaving? This one says, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So there's leaving and there's cleaving. And that word in the original where it's found means to glue. So you know what it means? You know, you know what that word means? Say it. Somebody said it. See, that's right. It means you're stuck. You are stuck to that person. You are glued permanently together with super glue glued and that's what it means when the marriage relationship is the priority of all human relationships it supersedes my relationship with my mother it supersedes my relationship with my sons supersedes it all it's the priority human relationship number next not only is it the priority human relationship but it should get progressively better it should look what jesus said Jesus says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Now look, that doesn't happen overnight. Heather and I are still growing together. But you know what it means? It means that, it doesn't mean that she's a clone of me or I'm a clone of her. We think actually alike, but you know what? We enjoy the same things. 
two become one, and it just gets better and better and better. It gets progressively better because here's what it means. It means they are becoming. Do you see that? They shall. It's a future. So listen, your best days, no matter how long you've been married, your best days ought to still be in front of you. Because married life, when it's done God's way, is a foretaste of heaven on earth, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. Someone has said that women marry men hoping that they will change. Men marry women hoping they will not change. I don't know if either of those. Well, yeah, they do. Let me tell you how it changes. Things get a little more droopy. Huh? <laughs> Things get a little more saggy. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I wish y'all could have seen Heather Allen when I married her. Look, I couldn't take that girl anywhere without me getting in a fight. Because, son, she attracted every male eye no matter where we went. And I was all right as long as they were looking, but when they started making comments, they were talking about my wife. You know what I'm saying? But listen to me. I wouldn't trade the Heather Allen I have now for that turkey Heather. <laughs> I wouldn't. Come on, y'all got to laugh. I told you we got to make this light. It's too serious for it's not to be. You know why? Because our relationship has progressively got better and better and better. I told Dr. John, I said, don't record this today. Uh, yeah, I said, don't record this. I want to talk to my church today, not to Facebook crowd. When I come back next Sunday with black eyes, y'all know what happens. But hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. We've been married now 35 years. And I wouldn't go back and start over at 15 for nothing because it's better right now than it's ever been. You with me? Are you with me? Is that right, Jerry Newman? Huh? Is that right, Miss Myra? Some of you have been married for 100 years. Is that right? It does just gets better and better and better. But check this out. i got to run. It should get progressively better. But then finally, it should be protected for what it pictures. You know, that passage Dr. John read earlier, he was talking about marriage. But then he said, you know, I'm speaking with reference to the picture or to, to, to the relationship of Christ and his church. Guys, marriage reflects the relationship between God and his people. And hear me. How can a lost and dying world believe when we stand up and preach that God loves you? God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never change his mind and throw you away when we're doing that to the people that ought to be our priority. It's got to be protected for theological reasons as well. And then last, I got to say this, hear me. This is the heart of biblical theology, not just marriage. It's the heartbeat of God from Genesis to Revelation. Failure can be pardoned. You hear me? So, Brother Richie, I blew it. I've already had a divorce. What do I do? Listen to me. There is not one sin out there that has more power to bind you 
than the cross's ability to free you. Are you with me? There's not one sin out there that is outside the cleansing power of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If there is, and that means the cross wasn't victory, sin is still reigning in control as the undefeated champion. But I'm telling you what Jesus Christ did on that cross was sufficient to cleanse us from everything. There's nothing you've done, there's nowhere you've been that can cut you off from the fact that you can be pardoned. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us. So I'm telling you, even when we fail at the most important things in life, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. A broken and contrite spirit over sin, God will not cast out. So no matter what you've done today, you can start new because the cleansing power of Jesus is available. Listen to me. Marriage is risky business. But I'm here to tell you as a satisfied customer, it's well worth it because there's high, high reward. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your...